And greetings, brethren, all around the world. It's very good to be here with you on this final holy day in this way, the last sermon, the last part of this great Feast of Tabernacles. I'm sure we've had a very wonderful feast with good sermons. We have very dedicated ministers and dedicated brethren, you dedicated brethren, all around the world. Thank you for being part of God's church, but we all need to thank God for calling us so we could be part of His church. We are very, very blessed indeed. The work is growing. The end of this age really is coming. And I think all of you know that. And we're in for very exciting times, not just in the next several years, but probably the next several months. As I've said before, the next three to six years should see some very dramatic, traumatic, and exciting times because Christ is coming. He really is coming back to this earth as King of Kings. And we need to realize that and honestly and really get ready. So I hope we're all willing to do our part. Now we must prepare to go home, brethren. We're going back into the world. We're going back with some of our perhaps carnal relatives, carnal workers, co-workers in our various jobs and professions. And we're going to have to get ready to face the world and face the trials that are out there. Yet we must always remember, every one of you should remember, I should remember, we are a part of the true church of God. We are a part of the body of Christ. When Christ was on earth, he had a body, but now he works through us as his arms and legs, his mouth, his, his, his mind in that sense, his expression. He uses us as tools, and we've got to do our part to get his message to this world. Turn to Matthew chapter 16, if you would, brethren. I want to begin the sermon with Matthew chapter 16 and verse 16, a very familiar passage, I hope, to many of you. Here Jesus Christ was asked, Who do men say that I am? Or he was asking. And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and as we know, that comes from the Greek word petros, meaning a small stone, P-E-T-R-O-S. And then Jesus uses a different word. He says, and on this rock, this petra, T-R-A, meaning a massive rock, an entire rock cliff or foundation stone, I will build my church. Christ did build a church, and we are part of that church today. And the gates of Hades or the grave shall not prevail against it. Christ promised that. The church would never be stamped out. And of course, those of us in the church who die will not be stamped out either. We will have the absolute promise of the resurrection from the dead. So the grave will never prevail, never prevail against those of us in God's church or the church as a whole. Because that church, this church is going to go right over in tomorrow's world. And we know that, and we can walk by faith in that way. And brethren, I think I should mention, as many of you know, but it's good to meditate on these things, we are the only church that understands certain basic, magnificent truths, the very truth about this last great day. We're the only church that understands it. That is, the church of God that descends from Mr. Herbert Armstrong because God helped him understand this. The Sardis church doesn't understand it, the ones who taught him, he came to fully understand it more than anyone in modern times. 
And we can understand it because of that. And we can be very grateful to understand that when the people went down in the Titanic, did their lives all end? When the millions of Jews died in the Holocaust, was that the end? No. Without this understanding, people get bitter against God. Why does God allow suffering? Why did God allow these things? They wonder and wonder, even the great men and women of the world. They don't know. We do know. And we can be very grateful and we can be very thankful to understand this magnificent truth of the great white throne judgment that death is not the end for those people. God is going to give them a genuine opportunity to understand what we understand and to have part and become part of the very family of God in due time. That is our God and that is the magnificent plan that only the church of God understands in any church or any group that give up keeping God's holy days and do not understand God's plan are in ignorance. They don't know why they're here, where they're going, and how to get there. We do need to understand these festivals and be very, very grateful for them, brethren. And I hope all of you new brethren understand that as well. So we've got to go home and have an understanding of where we've come from. Christ began the church. I will build my church. After Christ came the apostles, and the apostle John apparently lived last of all, the disciple Jesus loved, then his disciple, his main pupil, Polycarp, carried right on, and history shows us, Polycrates came, then men like Peter Waldo down through the dark ages, then John Trask and others over in Britain carried on, some of them even through torture and death, then Stephen Mumford came over to the United States and began the church of God over here with the help of other men and women. A number of women joined him as well right at the beginning. Stephen Mumford in this country. Then we had following him men like A.J. Long, Jacob Brinkerhoff, A.N. Duggar, and then Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong came along. And now we've followed from him. And I'm the only one of the living of the early evangelists, the original evangelists, to carry on the work Christ began through Mr. and Mrs. Herbert W. Armstrong. And we're carrying on that work today, and we're very grateful for that opportunity. The church of God continues. Turn now to 2 Timothy, if you would. And I want you to turn at this point to 2 Timothy. I'm sorry, I say, should say 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And here's Paul telling Timothy some things here. He said, these things I write to you, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I'm delayed, Paul writes in verse 15, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. We tried to use that term, church of the living God, that had already been incorporated. So we are the living church of God. The same thing said in different ways. The living, not the dead church, not the lazy church, not the Laodicean church, but the lively church that does God's work. The church of the living God, the pillar and ground or bulwark, as some translate it, of the truth. The bulwark is a number of protective barriers set up as troops were trying to break into a castle or something. The bulwark would stop them and slow them down. We are the pillar and bulwark of the truth. And all the way through the New Testament, in fact, to the very last letter the Apostle John wrote, 1 John 3, he doesn't talk about the church because the church was coming apart and being taken over by this diatrophies. But he talks about the truth, the truth, 
the truth. That's the key thing, my brethren. We used to say in the early days of this work under Mr. Armstrong, when did you come into the truth? We didn't have that many churches, just Portland, Eugene, and Pasadena. That's all we had, less than 200 members. In fact, when I first came, only about 100 members attending the church anywhere on earth in this era of the church, this branch of the church. And so the church is important, but you've got to have the truth. And the true church is wherever the truth is taught and where the work is being done. And we have to realize that. So the true church is the pillar and bulwark of the truth. So we are part of that group that is carrying on and preaching the truth and this message to the world. We are that pillar and we've got to go home from this festival and stand for the truth. Our life must be based upon the truth. We're to preach the truth. We're to grow in truth in ourselves and in the church in general. We're to live the truth and walk and talk with God and feed on this word and preach the truth and get this message to the whole world and give them an opportunity as we have had. Remember, this church is the only one, get this, we're the only one also to understand the great white throne judgment and we must deeply appreciate this magnificent truth. The truth is powerful. We can understand why God has allowed things to happen to people. It's not the end for them, as I said. It may only be the beginning where they can understand that this human life is not where it's at. God's kingdom, the resurrection from the dead, that's where it's at. The truth is powerful. We are blessed to understand things which wise men and even angels were not able to understand. For our God is eventually going to give everyone a genuine opportunity to be part of his very family. Turn to First Peter, if you would now, First Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3 and beginning in verse uh, 5. Let's go here to verse 5, breaking into one of Peter's long sentences. He's talking about God, or you, I mean, you who are kept by the power of God, First Peter 1, 5, were kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The salvation is, we're not saved right now, we're being saved, but ultimate salvation occurs in the last time when Christ comes back and we're born of God, become spirit in the resurrection from the dead. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Brethren, you have trials and I have trials. We go through all kinds of trials and tests and suffering, sometimes anguish for a while. We don't understand everything that happens and God will show us later. But we've got to have faith that God is there, that God is real, and God will work it out. And he always does. And most of you older brethren know that all these major prophecies Mr. Armstrong used to talk about of the United States and Britain becoming the most powerful nations and then how they would go down and they would lose their sea gates as they're already beginning to do, that the British Empire would be no more and God would break the pride of the power of America and Britain those things have already happened and started happening right now. He said the nations of Eastern Europe would break away from the Soviet bloc, and they did do that. He said the Berlin Wall would come down. He predicted that years before it happened and even before he died. And then the Berlin Wall indeed came down several years after he died. It happened. All these other things are happening, major things to major nations. Our God is real, and this is the only church that really understands these things. 
So we need to appreciate that fact. We go through trials that the genuineness of your faith may be much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our faith is tested by fire. God lets trials come on us to see, do we really believe? Will we go all out to be in the very kingdom of God, the family of God forever? How much does it mean to us? The revelation of Jesus Christ, whom you have, whom having not seen you love. No, we don't see Christ, brethren. You know that. We don't see God. You and I have to come to prove to ourselves the reality of the invisible God and walk with God and talk with God and commune with God and see his action in the world and major prophetic events and in our lives and the lives of others and see the power of his spirit moving and believe and know that God is there and walk with that God and commune with that God whom not having seen you love though now you do not see him yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory receiving the end of your faith the salvation of your souls of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that would come to you searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ it's the Holy Spirit of God. It's the same Spirit that comes out from Christ who was in them was indicated when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them, to these prophets, it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which have now been reported to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which angels desire to look into as I said, brethren, many angels and wise men through the ages have wanted to understand these things, and they don't get it. They don't get it. God has prophesied and told us about the great white throne judgment, and God has predicted that we're going to be full members of his family and be holy like he is holy. And we're the only church, again, that understands that. Other churches don't understand that. Angels desire to look into these things, this coming glory that is going to come. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Get your mind going. Think about it deeply, brethren. God is telling us, be sober, be alert, rest your hope fully upon the grace or the gift that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. Revelation means revealing when Christ comes in glory and we're going to hear the trumpets. Every mountain and every island will be shaken out of its place. That great God will come back to this earth. It's going to be exciting, and we're going to see it. Most of us will see it. Some of us older people might not be here, but we will certainly experience and understand it later. Maybe God will let us see a replay of these events. It's the most exciting time in history coming just ahead of us. At the revelation of Christ, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. We are to be like God because God is reproducing himself. And again, Mr. Armstrong is the only one who came up with that, that full truth. I happened to be there, as I've mentioned before, back in 1953, in the late spring of 1953, when I came down from pastoring the Portland, Oregon church. 
and came down to help Mr. Armstrong and began to take over some of the Bible classes. He gave the entire theology department to Herman Hay and me, and I began to teach the freshman Bible class and the epistles of Paul, which I introduced, and other classes. And Herman Hay took over a number of other classes. And I was in the graduate school then. It was already going on, but he got me in the graduate school of theology. And he was going through prophecy, but this one thing kept coming back to him. And he said, fellas, he said, something is coming to me, and I do not want to be a heretic. But he said, it seems like God's Spirit is just impressing it on my mind. And if you men can prove it wrong, if you can put it down, if you can show it's a heresy, please do so. I want to have it proved wrong if it is wrong. But if it is right, it's a magnificent new truth. Mr. Armstrong was always very strong and very dogmatic as Christ was. He didn't say it suggests or God suggests or it appears. He'd say God says so, as most of you know, who heard him over and over. But he used to say, when we're born of God, we will be something like super archangels. That's not like Mr. Armstrong, sort of like. He didn't quite understand it. He knew it was above the angels but he could not fully grasp at first how magnificent our calling is. Finally, it came to him from the very beginning of the Bible. It says each creature reproduced after his kind. And then God says, as you know, back in Genesis chapter 2, he made Adam and Eve after his kind. We are made in the image of God. We are made in the image of God and we have to understand that. I think that's actually back in Genesis chapter 1. The guys will catch me on that, I think, to help these things. So let me straighten it out myself. This is Genesis 1, verse 26. Let us make man in our image, the very image and kind of God. That came powerfully to Mr. Armstrong as I was beginning to prepare to teach the epistles of Paul class that following autumn. I began to read scripture after scripture, not that refuted what he was saying, but proved what he was saying all through Paul's writings. We're going to have the very glory that Christ has. We're going to be, he was the firstborn of many brethren, all kinds of scriptures. Herman Hay came with others. No one could disprove this. God is reproducing us. This church alone understands the great white throne judgment. This church alone understands the very purpose of human existence, that God is, in fact, reproducing himself, that we are to be fully born of God, the great God in heaven, and be like he is someday. We will be those kings and priests on this earth under Jesus Christ and help rule the nations but at that time and beyond for eternity, we will be full sons of God, talking with God, walking with God, communing with God, interacting with God and with Christ, interacting with them and planning things throughout the earth and later perhaps throughout the universe, fellowshipping with God and with Christ and with the spirits of just men made perfect, as it tells us back in Hebrews chapter 12. What a magnificent truth. Only the church of God, that part of the church taught by Mr. Armstrong and faithfully following Mr. Armstrong understands that. Other churches do not. They don't get it. So we need to realize the magnificent truth we have and how important the truth is. Be holy for I am holy. And then Paul tells us, of course, or Peter does, that we're to be like God in that way. So God revealed that church, that truth to Mr. Armstrong 
And those of us in that graduate school were privileged to be right there when he was, he was studying and praying and fasting and thinking about this, went deeper and deeper into that over a period of weeks. It came directly from God, but primarily through his word, not through anyone's imagination. It's very clear in the word of God for those willing to understand. Now let's turn back to 1 John chapter uh, 2, if you would. 1 John, near the end of your Old Testament there, 1 John chapter 2, and he's talking here about Christ's coming. He says in verse 28, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he, Christ, appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is begotten. Remember this Greek word, ganao, in various forms of ganao, it can be translated either born or begotten, and the translations themselves go back and forth. Some will translate it born, some will translate it begotten. They admit, you don't know, it has to be understood by the context, by what God is talking about. So he who practices righteousness is begotten of God. We have God's very nature in us because God is putting within us the seed of eternal life. His very nature as he reproduces himself. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. Chapter 3 here, verse 1. That we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because they did not know him. Beloved, now are we children of God. Right now we're begotten children of God and have God's seed in us. We're not yet spirit-born beings, spirit-born children, but we're begotten children, having the very nature of God to a limited extent. And the more we walk with God and drink into this word and feed on this word, the more we have of God's very nature. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, when Christ comes back, we shall be like him. We will be like Christ in every way. Our face will blaze with power like the sun. For we shall see him as he is. We can look right in Christ's face as though we're looking right square into the sun, up close into the power of 10,000 blast furnaces, perhaps. We will be spirit ourselves. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. God doesn't try to tell us to be pure and nice because he's a nicey, nice old grandfather. He wants us to be pure and clean and right because that will be best for us and help us have the character to live forever in the kingdom of God. We will not hurt ourselves. We will not hurt others. We will be part of the very family of God. So this is the hope of everyone who purifies himself. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, or because sin is lawlessness. Or as the King James has it, sin is the transgression of the law. A direct definition of sin in the Bible. Sin is the transgression of God's law. And you know, John continues, that he was manifested to take away our sin, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him, abides in Christ, does not sin, or does not practice sin as it can be. It's always the present active participle. Whoever sins has neither sin, seen him or know him. In other words, that, now whoever sins has never seen him. Well, we all sin, so it's the present active, whoever practices sin. That's the way it is all through this passage, if you check it out. Little children, let no one... No, I've read that. Verse 8, 
he who sins is of the devil. In other words, he who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been begotten, as it ought to be, of God does not sin or does not practice sin. If you're begotten of God and God's Holy Spirit is in you, you and I make mistakes, but we do not regularly make mistakes. We do not practice sin. And we've got to understand that and be sure we do that and do not take sin lightly. Brethren, do not water things down. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Walk with God. Don't compromise. Don't let yourself compromise and go off the track and water things down. God does not like that. God wants us to go all out. And whatever we do, we do with our might and we walk and live by faith. So he says here, Whoever has been begotten of God does not practice sin for his seed. And the literal Greek word there, brethren, as we've explained, is sperma. Literally, the word sperm is there. God's not embarrassed by the things that he made to make us be able to have children. The very nature, the very seed of God remains in him, and he cannot sin. God's very nature is in us, and we cannot practice sin. God's Spirit will convict us. And if we do practice sin, then we will cease being God's sons. We will cease being begotten of God. God will take His Spirit away, as so many scriptures explain. We must not do that. We must never let down. We must never drift away from the truth. We must never get bitter. You say, well, someone hurt my feelings. Well, that's too bad. People have hurt my feelings hundreds of times. And when I grew up in the hills of southwest Missouri, uh, my friends or even the minor sons would come by and yell at us and we'd throw rocks at each other. I've got rock uh, scars here and a big one here and some all over my head when my mother used to wash out the blood. I didn't get offended and hate God or hate people forever because of that. Get over it. Move forward in your lives. Move forward and go for the kingdom of God with every fiber of your being. We've got to appreciate our calling. We have a magnificent calling. So don't give up. Don't turn aside. Do not practice sin. He cannot practice sin because he's been begotten of God. That is a true child of God, a true Christian. In this, the children of God, verse 10, and the children of the devil are manifest. How do you know who's Christian and who's not? Whoever does not practice righteousness. That's the key. It's not complicated. Jesus said, remember back in Matthew 5, by their fruits, you know them. Think about it. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. And here the New King James puts the word practice right in here. That's the way it's translated. So if you practice righteousness as a way of life, then you're converted. But whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. You don't know God. You're not walking with God. You don't have God's Spirit if you do not practice righteousness as a way of life. That doesn't mean you never sin, but you do not break the Sabbath all the time. You do not get drunk regularly or often or ever virtually as a way of life. You do not steal or lie or anything like that as a way of life. It would be a rare exception deeply repented of. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. People that get offended and get bitter so quickly, they're often found out to be not converted at all. And if they get their feelings hurt, they just leave God, leave the church, and go right out. 
Perhaps God will shake them and bring them back later, but they prove themselves to be unconverted. We have a magnificent calling. God's very seed comes inside you. God's very seed comes inside me. The very nature comes right out from our Father as the very human nature of my Father came right out and makes me partly what I am. God's very nature will make you like God. God's very nature will be in you and you'll finally be born of the Spirit, become Spirit, become full sons of God in the family of God, the kingdom of God, ruling the earth and perhaps later the universe forever because you will be God. You will be like God. You will be full sons of God in the family of God throughout all eternity. That's why God lets these trials and tests come. That's why he's working with us, teaching us, fashioning us, molding us being patient with us, trying to teach us lessons for all eternity. And we need to deeply appreciate that and not give up so easily and so quickly as some seem to be willing to do. So let's understand that that God's very seed makes us righteous. It's not ourselves, of course, but we've got to be willing to do our part with all of our being. And here's part of our part described back in John. If you turn back to the Gospel of John here, John 6 and beginning in verse 53, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, this is John chapter 6, verse 53, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. This has a dual application about the Passover, but as you'll see, the main thing is not just once a year at the Passover. The main thing is eating and drinking of Jesus Christ every single day of your life. All year long, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Yes, God will raise us up. We won't live forever in the flesh, but he will raise us up. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him That is the key. Christ lives in us through the Holy Spirit. It is His righteousness, the very righteousness of God put in us, impregnating us with the glory of God, the power of God, the nature of God, the character of God. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so He who feeds on me, do you feed on this book? Literally feed on it or just carelessly read it or read a chapter or two once in a while for inspiration. Don't do that, brethren. That's not enough. He who feeds on me will live because of me. That's our challenge. That's our goal to have Christ fully living within us. And we've got to feed on this book. Each one of us, brethren, has to study this book regularly and feed on it. Please learn to study the Bible that way. You've read in Mr. Armstrong's autobiography, many of you, how he often studied the Bible on his knees in the early days. He'd get down by a couch, I've heard him describe it, and he would be there on his knees as though he were praying with his Bible spread out, reading the Bible, saying, God, teach me, guide me, help me understand. Study the Bible like that, brethren. Don't be afraid. Study it on your knees if you need to, to get in the habit and to get in that right spirit as you study Study this book and then think carefully what these verses mean. Go over them, mark them, go back and review them. Feed on them. Then after you meditate, pray. 
get down on your knees and pray to God at least 20 or 30 minutes a day, hopefully more. Many of us older Christians try to pray more than that. But you who are new, get up to at least 20 or 30 minutes on both your knees before God, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Get by a window if you can where you can see the trees and the sky out there like Daniel did, prayed with his windows open each day, three times a day, facing toward Jerusalem. And you don't have to face toward Jerusalem today, but you do need to get down on your knees that if you can have a place to pray where you can look up at the sky, that's even better. When I was first converted in Ambassador College, I had to go down at the bottom of the Mayfair steps there in the very basement. We lived on the third floor and I'd go down to the second floor where the old ladies lived and then the third floor, first floor and then down to the basement. And right at the bottom of the basement steps to the left was a little broom closet. Herman Hay had a place down at the end of the basement one way and the Manair boys and Ken Herman and others they had their places of prayer all picked out. I found the broom closet and I would go down there and had some newspapers I would unfold and put on the on the concrete floor so it wouldn't be hard, quite as hard on my knees and quite as dirty and pray to God so I couldn't look up. I just had to look up in my mind and pray to God with my eyes closed perhaps or at least in the dark and know God was up there. And he was. He heard my prayers and guided me to pray to God with uplifted hands on your knees. Talk to God. Walk with God. Commune with God. Ask God for his love, his joy, his peace, his faith, his mind, his power. Give your life to God and go all out to be in the kingdom of God and fulfill the very purpose for which he created you. The purpose for which he's giving you life and breath. The purpose for which you were made. Go all out, brethren, and don't do it halfway. It's magnificent. That is your goal. That's why you're here, to become full members of the very family of God. You are part of the body of Christ today to help prepare the world for Christ's second coming and to be those coming kings and priests in God's kingdom and then to be full members at that time of God's very ruling family. So we need to realize that, that we've got to go all out for this and we to study, to meditate, to pray, to fast, and to walk with God, consciously walk with God through the day and pray that God gives us in this church, the body of Jesus Christ, the power in this work that we need. Give us the physical resources, the ties that offers and calls thousands more donors, thousands more co-workers, thousands more members, and gives us the spiritual gifts and power and the zeal to go out to the world and preach the gospel, the good news of the coming government of God, the true name of Jesus Christ, to preach the Ezekiel warning, to warn our peoples with all our hearts before the tribulation comes on them, and to prepare a people for God a people that will be ready to go right on over into the next dimension. We've got to do our part to help prepare those people that God is calling and prepare ourselves to be part of that magnificent family, the very family of God. So I hope all of us can do that to effectively carry out the work of God. We need to grow and strengthen ourselves in every way. We've got to have God be more real to us. As I've said, we need to walk with the invisible God, and that's hard for some people. You don't see God today, but you see these things by the tremendous things that are happening in prophecy that God specifically has predicted and His church has predicted for decades, in some cases for generations, because now it's been generations since I first heard Mr. Armstrong on the radio coming over XCG out of Mexico at 8 o'clock every night. 
Yes, every night, way back in 1944 and 45, while the Second World War was still raging, and he was saying Germany is being pulverized by the bombings, but they will rise again, and they will be the leading nation in a coming European empire, a coming United States of Europe. And right now, my brethren, you know they are already starting to do that before our very eyes. This financial crisis in Europe is causing the southern European nations of Greece and Italy and Spain and others to turn over more and more power to the Germans because they're having to bail them out. And now there are going to be 10 kings, as Revelation 17 tells us, who will give. Hitler won't have to send his tanks, his panzer units through the Dutch, the Danes, the Norwegians, and these other nations, the Poles, and so on, and conquer them. These nations will give their power and authority to this coming Hitler, this coming beast, So he won't have to come in with power at first. He'll come in very cleverly. He'll perhaps be very charismatic, very political, but they will give their power and then inside the glove is the iron fist, which will tighten its grip on Europe and build a coming beast power led by a great false church with a powerful miracle-working leader called the great false prophet. These things are starting to come together now. And this church alone understands those things. God help you to understand, to be inspired by that. Watch these things and lift up your heads, as Jesus said, when you see these things coming. So we've got to know that God is real and walk and talk and be inspired because we know the invisible God. He's invisible, but he acts. He moves He accomplishes in the world and he accomplishes in our lives if we'll let him. The Apostle Paul wrote back in 2 Corinthians, turn to 2 Corinthians now if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 15, Paul writes, For all things are for your sakes, thus who are in God's church, that grace, that is God's gift, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound of the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart, So many of us could give up and quit. I've had to carry on now for over 60 years. By the time you hear this sermon, I will have been in the work of God, counting my student days, over 62 years. We must not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Many of us are getting old. We have things go wrong. We kid about it. Our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. God strengthens us inside. God strengthens our mind, our heart, our character. He puts his very nature in us. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things that you're seeing, if I look at my, you know, 681-year-old body, if I look at the physical things around me, or if I get sick or feel bad, or just look at the around of this world and have my mind on that, I could get very discouraged. Our nation is going down. Things are going wrong. But we know and we know that we know that it has to get worse before it gets better. It gets darkest just before the dawn. We do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. You see, we've got to look at God. We've got to look at the promises of God. And they are real for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. God is eternal. His promises will last forever. 
For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, this physical body that you and I are in is destroyed, and it will be destroyed if we live long enough, all of us will die in this flesh sometime after 80 or 90 or 100. Most people don't live past 90 or 100 years of age. This tent is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house, a glorified spirit body, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. God is planning that spirit body now, and that body is waiting for us to come from God. For in this we groan, we cry out for God's help, we cry out for God's kingdom to come. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, and we should do that. Earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is not staying in heaven. Notice, brethren, our habitation, which is from heaven. It comes back to this earth. We're not going to heaven, as we've explained God is preparing a body. He's preparing his house, his coming temple and all that. But this body that we live in are going to live in is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we are in this physical body, this tent grown. Yes, we have aches and pains and things go wrong. We get sick and infirm, being burdened. So because not because we do not want to be unclothed. No, we want to be covered up but that mortality may be swallowed up by life. We want a real body that lasts forever. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. God's Holy Spirit, brethren, when you sense that you have been converted, if you've really repented and you have the very nature of God come in you, you're not perfect all at once, you still struggle but you know that you have help you never had before. And that's the guarantee that God is there and this spirit body is coming. Therefore, we're always confident knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith. You and I must walk by faith. Brethren, we're going to have trials and tests come at us from every direction. And we walk by faith and not by sight. And we must really understand that. False Christians will attack us. They'll make fun of us. They will persecute us. Some later on in certain areas, they may beat some up, throw us in jail, all kinds of things. The world will attack us. They'll say, well, you're disloyal. You're saying we shouldn't fight or there's a government coming, the government of God, and you'd better be loyal to our government. All kinds of things they can conjure up against us. And Satan himself will attack us. We read in Revelation chapter 11 about this coming uh, coming spirit war that's coming and how we have to be ready. And this thing is coming on us and God is going to allow these things to happen to his church. And of course, it says here in Revelation, I might turn here to part of it at least very quickly, and that's actually in Revelation 12, it talks about how in verse 9, the great dragon was cast out, serpent the devil, Satan who deceives the whole world. He comes back to this earth. And then at that time, it says he's going to come down for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. This is Revelation 12. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Some are going to be tortured by Satan and by the instruments of Satan because of him. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. Terrible things are going to happen before the end, brethren. Be ready. Be strong. 
For the devil has come down on you having great wrath because he knows that he has but a short time. So he persecutes the woman who gave birth to the male child, the New Testament church. He persecutes the church of God and he's going to persecute us terribly and we need to be ready. This spirit war may happen any time now. We don't know when, but it has not happened yet unless it happens after I give this sermon before you before you view it. But Satan is coming and he's going to stir things up such as never before. Recently, we've had this terrible series of murders over in Norway. But that's just one thing. That happens every year or two or five or something. Then years will go by. But when we have a whole series of those things, terrible things, other things like that, the leaders in Europe suddenly having this terrible look on their face, a different attitude, absolute hate against America and Britain and the physical peoples of God, modern Israel, all those things and other things start to happen together. Then we'll know the spirit war has indeed taken place. We've got to be strong. We are Christian soldiers. We must not give up and quit. So let's understand. We must understand and have faith in this spirit world that is around us and walk and live by faith. As Paul says right here, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Turn out of Second Timothy, if you would. Second Timothy, and I'm going to turn uh, to this uh, chapter uh, 4 here. Second Timothy, the last letter that Paul wrote, chapter 4, where Paul writes to this young evangelist before Paul died, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Christ is coming soon. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Constantly preach God's word and brethren live God's word and back us up with your prayers, your tithes, your offerings, your whole being in helping others, encouraging others, being a light, a help in every way you can in your local church and in the work of God to get this message out. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. And indeed we know what happened. They turned away from it. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap to themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables, to fairy tales. That's what happened to the majority of people back there. They turned aside and then the black-robed monks came in during the Dark Ages and introduced all kinds of pagan ideas that came straight out of paganism, not out of the Bible, about heaven and hell and the immortality of the soul and the Trinity and all kinds of stuff, having them keep Christmas and Easter and Halloween instead of God's holy days and having worship the, the, the day of the sun rather than God's holy Sabbath, watering down the entire plan of God and the way of God through paganism, they turn to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist. And all of us in a spiritual sense are part of the work of God today, every one of us. And we must do that. Fulfill your ministry. For I'm already being poured out. Paul was already being prepared to be a martyr. And he could see it coming this time. And the time of my departure is at hand. Verse 7. I have fought the good fight. God grant that you and I can say that, brethren, at the end. Whether we die sooner or when we come right up to Christ's kingdom, to the, to the last trumpet. And we hear the angels sounding and the earth shaking. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only to me, but also all who have loved his appearing. Are you going to love his appearing? Do you have faith? Will you fulfill your faith and put your faith and trust in the invisible God and never, ever, ever, ever give up? Never turn aside, never water things down knowingly. Each of us has that responsibility. And yet we have the awesome opportunity to be full members of God's kingdom, God's family. Turn back, if you would, now to Revelation. Let's go to Revelation chapter 3. And most of you know the first few verses are talking about the Sardis church. He said in verse 2 of Revelation 3, Be watchful, strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. They were dying and dead. And we saw that. Many of us who dealt with them in the earlier part of this age when we were beginning this work. Then he says in verse 7, he talks to the next, next to the last era described here of the churches of God. The one, frankly, God used Mr. Armstrong to raise up and to lead. To the angel of the church of Philadelphia, the messenger representing Philadelphia, these things says he is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, and the key of David has everything to do with world government. David is the one who is the main king who is used as a standard, a type, a benchmark of the kings that God is going to use, a very type of Christ. The key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens, the one who takes us through the open doors, Christ does. I know your works. See, I've set before you, this church era, an open door. God gave Mr. Armstrong more open doors, more radio and television stations, far more opportunity to reach the world in a really big way than anyone before or since. The door's not slammed shut now because we have thousands coming into the truth already through this work. But this was a remarkable time where the doors were flung wide open and they had the responsibility to go through those doors. He said, you have a little strength and have kept my word. Let us feed on this word. Let's believe this word, live this word, preach this word, and do the work that this word describes and have not denied my name. He talks about those of the synagogue of Satan, false Christians who claim to be and they're not. And he says in verse 10, because you have kept my command to persevere, he tells us, we're persevering. Many of us were in the Philadelphia era and we're keeping right on as far as as long as we can. I also will keep you from the hour of trial. What hour? The greatest hour in human history. The hour of trial which will come upon the whole world. That's the coming great tribulation to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. So Christ is coming quickly when he talks to this era. Hold fast that you have, that no one take your crown. Don't give up that Philadelphia zeal. Don't give up that desire to go through the open doors. Don't give up the desire to get out and preach the gospel to the world and share with them the magnificent truths that we have. God is telling us this. I am coming quickly. Hold fast. He who overcomes, and that's you and me, we overcome ourselves, we overcome this world and all the temptations, the tremendous distractions all around us. And we overcome Satan the devil, who's going to soon come down with great wrath, knowing he has a short time. Are you ready? 
Are you ready to face that? Are you ready to fight that battle? God help you to get ready with all of your being. He says, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar, a strong support. As I told you at the beginning, we are a continuation of the church of God coming right down from Christ through the Apostle John, Polycarp, Polycrates, right down through Mr. Armstrong to us today. God is going to make us in who remain Philadelphian and are zealous for the very government of God, are zealous for the work of God. He will make us strong supports in the very intergovernmental structure in the New Jerusalem and God's kingdom and God's family set up on this earth forever. I will make you a pillar in my temple, in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. Some of us did have to go out of the physical church because it was coming apart. You won't have to ever go out again when Christ comes back. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. We will have a name, perhaps designating, probably designating our, our authority, our job, whether we're over a city or five cities or ten cities or a whole nation, members of the ruling family of God, the kingdom of God, the government of God throughout all eternity, interacting with Christ, interacting with the Father, interacting with the spirits of just men made perfect and sharing with them and rebuilding this earth and actually creating even new civilizations later throughout the earth and perhaps the entire universe because we will have fulfilled the purpose for which God called us, for which God has blessed us. We have fulfilled the purpose for which we were born. Let's do that, brethren. Let's do go all out with our being to prepare the way for Christ's coming, to show God that we mean it, to show God that we are willing to put His kingdom as righteousness above everything else. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We in the true church of God, in the living church of God, have an eternal reward that is absolutely awesome. Your reward, just ahead, if you hang on, if you do your part, is absolutely magnificent. Never, ever let it slip through your hands. May God be with you, brethren, guide you, protect you, and lead you and inspire you as you go back home from this festival.